Hola. Bienvenido al episode, uh, episode 22 of season three of the Connect 2 podcast. Yeah. I am Jeff Cullen. I'm Mark Hughes. Hey, Jeff. I am liking this new uh, technology we're using here. The headphones on and man, sounds good. <laughs> excellent. That's excellent. But am I hearing like a sound of a fan yes. in the background? Yeah. Yeah. These are very sensitive. Uh, I get rid of that usually. Yeah, clean it out. Yeah, good man. It's like uh, so all the like people the that are listening are not going to hear this. That's true. It's like the background sound on the starship. Yes, um, all those hums. People don't realize how much that fills them. So what's uh, what did you learn? Or are we doing dad jokes first? I don't even have uh, oh, we're doing coffee first. So, uh, yeah. if, and if you're new to the channel, rate, review, subscribe, search us out on Apple we iTunes. We don't want to confuse Spotify. people by we're, changing the format. We are there. We are around. Um, we love we love to find out uh, more about people who uh, listen to us. But we have coffee. Today's coffee is from. It's called Bottleneck by Detour Coffee, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it has got uh, flavor notes of toffee, fig, and milk chocolate. And it is from Guatemala and Rwanda, two countries that are nowhere near each other. This seems to be a theme. Yeah, mixing and matching, eh? Mm -hmm. Bottleneck. It's called. Oh, that's very nice. Very, very nice. Uh, you got any dad jokes? I'm looking. Why do Christmas trees have such good breath? Uh, I don't know, because they're minty? Ornaments. <laughs> what would bears be without bees? What would bears be without bees? Boy, I have no idea. Ears. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm not worried about the moon getting too full. It's just a phase. <laughs> yes, very good. I'm having a hard time here finding the uh, what I want. What do you call somebody uh, somebody else's cheese? Nacho cheese. Nacho cheese. <laughs> and I've invented a new game called Silent Tennis. It's like regular tennis, but without the racket. There you go. See, I was trying to look up expanse-based dad jokes, but I'm finding nothing. No. Just the cold dark of space. Um, yeah. Nothing. Look at that. Seven hilarious expanse puns. Okay. Except it looks like a farm. Got the new expansion pack for my treadmill. It's called Outdoor Jogging. <laughs> All my friends have such expansive bucket lists. Mine is just a pale in comparison. <laughs> my wife told me I've grown as a person. Actually, her actual words were, you've gotten fat, but I know what she meant. Okay. Um, there so you go. What did you learn this? Not week? to brag, but I know the first four thousand digits of the of the expansion of Pi. Yeah. I just don't know them in order. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What did I learn this week? What has four letters? Sometimes has nine, and never has six. Wow. Sometimes four. 
Sometimes nine. What has four letters? Four letters. Sometimes has nine. Never has six. Don't know. I don't know. No. No, think about it. What? Oh, what? Has four letters. Yes. W-H-A-T. Sometimes, yeah. There you go. There you go. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, What did I learn this week? Well... Did we talk about fusion last week? Uh, briefly, I think. Lawrence Livermore Laboratory? No. Ah. Well, it, you talked about it a couple weeks ago. Right. So I had I saw this article. So I, I, I remembered vaguely somewhere in the middle of uh, all the news on COVID that they had, bro- they had established or reached a milestone, right, at the Lawrence Livermore Nuclear Lab where they actually generated more more energy. Yeah, that was that, you had you had talked right. about that. Yeah. Okay. So was, and then then they failed a half dozen times. Yeah. And then then they've had four more successes. I don't know that they had had four at the time, but uh, Yeah, so this article last week, so they they had uh, had some challenges in in repeating the experiment, of course. It's one of the big things in science, remember cold fusion. But since that, they fixed whatever the challenge was, and apparently it's the it's the the um, uh, the fuel. So they use a a hydrogen pellet, right? And it has to be completely, almost perfectly spherical, such that it takes them about seven months to manufacture the pellet, and any irregular because the lasers are so precise that any irregularities in the shape suddenly it takes the angles off and it doesn't work so they spend months and months crafting this absolutely perfectly spherical uh, hydrogen pellet but the good news so they asked this woman who is the executive director of, of Lawrence Livermore Labs you know timeline right and she said 20 years but that's a very conservative government um, scientist number. Mm-hmm. Now they are not going to build a reactor. They're they're purely a research facility, right? Okay. But she said, yeah, there's a bunch of like tech companies, basically tech bros, if you will, who are saying much shorter timelines. Like like Elon's not in it, but you know the kind of people who are just like crashing through. We'll just engineer the hell out of this thing, and so they're saying 2028, 2032. So I said to my kids, likely they will in their lifetime see a workable fusion reactor. And uh, that's going to be such a game changer. It's going to be one of those inflection points in, in human development. Might just keep us from, you know, disappearing. So it's exciting. It's like the expanse. Exciting. Yeah. The other thing I learned. When are they going to develop the Epstein drive? <laughs> yeah. The other thing I learned just is, well, you know, we'll have the power to be able to do that kind of stuff if we can just figure out the, the math. Um, I was watching uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson on. He's, he's interesting. He's always got interesting. Well, he does these interviews with uh, a journalist uh, whose name I don't know, but they they always sort of kibitz. So they were talking about orbital um trajectory yeah i i i think i saw the same thing it was super cool is this with the bernoulli brothers yeah who figured out 
that it's upside down. That curve, right? So you it, can calculate that that so it, it, optimum shape of the ball rolling down the hill thing. So I always figured it was the same. Like I figured if you um, have a ball and you roll it down a straight 45 degrees, mm-hmm. and it gets to the bottom, it will get to this, no matter how you did it, you ended up mm. with the same speed. But there's basically this curve and it's yep. called the Bernoulli curve where basically it drops really fast at the beginning right. and then it catches it and it'll actually make it to the bottom faster exactly it's not like the uh, feather and the bowling ball in a vacuum where you drop right them because that's purely that's purely gravitational gravity. force right right yeah. so, so this uh, is a distance of travel and distance of travel and speed right um but so there's this this i optimized curve right. that will get you there the fastest and to hit an orbit, you basically flip that curve yeah, was, upside down. Yeah, his way of his way of storytelling and simplifying um, some interesting and complex and diverse scientific and physics principles is is super cool. I, it I really, really is. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And what else did he talk about? He talked about how how the reason why and, and as part of that, it was like uh, so everybody thinks. They go you straight up. They go straight up. But they don't. But they don't go straight up. They go they go sideways. They go straight up to start. Yeah. And then they have to go sideways because they've got to um, basically race to get sure. a horizontal speed yep. that is sufficient to match the there's a pull from gravity to pull you down and you need a speed that's fast enough to pull you out so that they match and then you hit an orbit. Exactly. Which in retrospect, makes total sense, but uh, but it means that when they're going up, they're always um, like with the space shuttle. There was always the roll. Yeah, right? uh, that's right. Because the space shuttle was not round, right? Yep. Like you had a space shuttle on one side. Yeah, and uh, so they'd always go up, and then there would be this roll, and right. uh, the basically the space shuttle um, bottom was pointed up. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So when I did my undergrad in engineering one of my math teachers was really old like like really old like okay. this this would have been well i did my i came out in 1990 so i would have started around 1986 so mid 80s okay mm-hmm. and i remember him saying we had a advanced calculus textbook and one of the things was a uh, escape velocity mm-hmm. uh from earth right and he was like, huh, when I did my master's in the 1930s, <laughs> this was just theoretical. <laughs> but now it's not. Exactly. <laughs> we were all like, wow. <laughs> so he's really old. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, what did I learn? Uh, I learned two things uh, and two very, very, very different things. So in the U.S., there is this thing called the National Gun Archive, National Gun Violence Archive. I have it right here. Um, national, or it's called the Gun Violence Archive. Okay. So basically, it keeps track of deaths by guns yeah. throughout the United States. I'm surprised they allow that. And they've been doing that for 10 years. Because yeah, oh. the CDC has been they have, precluded from doing studies on well, this is private. gun violence. This yeah. is private. Yeah. 
So part of it is all they do is they go and try and find out information about it. So in the U.S. for, and it's been going on for 10 years. So initially this guy is interesting because he's not anti-gun. What he was specifically um, involved with, and his name starts with, it's Mark. Uh, Okay. um, I can't find it. His name is Mark something. And uh, he, um, um, so he's familiar with guns, he's guns shooting lots and all that stuff, but uh, he says that that there's like this political schism. You got people on the far right, basically, don't take my guns, my guns are my right, and uh, I need guns to protect myself. And then on the left, it's like, oh, guns are killing people, you're... You need to, you know, to protect. And he said, the problem is, is that those those are kind of intractable positions. Absolutely. So he says, what he figured he would try and do is try and facilitate this, um, um, facilitate having a um, uh, the facts surrounding gun violence Mm -hmm. um so he started searching and researching it like he was a computer guy so he figured this was just a database search initially and uh, Mm. and then he found out it was really hard to get information on it (laughs) like shocking like and it's still shockingly hard to get information on it yep and uh but about 10 years ago he was doing this and uh, slate had a resource so slate uh, the the media company yep was doing a project after for the year after sandy hook okay yeah and they were trying to track uh gun violence and they did a reasonable job but it was uh too much work they were only planning to do it for a year so their funding was running out from slate and it was pretty incomplete at least in this guy's okay sure so the uh so the idea is that he basically um uh, took it over. He basically asked if he could take it over. So he he had started his own, was using Slate's resource. They said, well, we're shutting this down. And he said, can I take it over? So we did. And he's been doing that ever since. And so it's the most accurate assessment of gun violence uh, in the U.S. And it is a thing. So you can, it's quite something. Like, it's very straightforward. Apparently, it's used frequently by media outlets yeah well that would make sense to to figure it out you can there's like maps you can actually go in and explore wonderful you can explore by maps in nine years there's been three hundred and thirty thousand um thirty three hundred and thirty thousand uh deaths related to gun violence in the u.s this is just a u.s thing yep so total number of gun violence deaths, all causes in the U.S. Amazing. for this year is 41,584. Homicide, murder, unintentional, and I don't know what DGU is. Uh, anyway, DGU is um, 18,220. <laughs> Suicide is DGU, more. DGU, dang gun unloaded. <laughs> exactly. Uh um, so 23,364 or so. And then on top of that, there's total number of injuries as reported is 35,235. So wow. almost double. Yeah. Um, and they don't track injuries too hard. So their, their bigger thing is, 
thing. And mass shootings, there were 641 people in mass shootings. And mass murderers, uh, there were 40 mass murderers. So 40 people did the 640. Wow. And then for kids, number of kids, 0 to 11, mm. that were killed is 288. And in teens, is uh, killed was 13,049. And uh, so it's it's interesting. And so it's, you can go for it's any year. Such a weird country. You can you go. Know? I know. So he's doing this. The dichotomy between all of this pro-life, you know, like this woman in Texas, anti-abortion life know? is every life is and precious. And it's like until, thirteen thousand teenagers killed by gun violence until they're born. Don't touch my guns. They're precious until they're born. I saw. I don't remember who put it out. I was popped up on YouTube and it was an anti-gun, um, not necessarily anti-Second Amendment, but it was sort of a clarification. It's basically a mass shooter, okay? Um, so it's a PSA, but it's this guy that walks into an office building and uh, he pulls out his musket, <laughs> fires, misses, right? And then he's reloading this thing. It's a it's a muzzle loader musket, you know. Yeah. But yeah. then everybody runs out of the building, right? Everybody like gets out from behind and they run out and there's nobody left and he's still loading the gun, right? And they were basically just saying, you know, like a reminder of when the Second Amendment was written, this is the kind of guns people had. Yeah. Right? Very effective because yeah, I mean, nobody anticipated I, the argument I think holds water that these weapons of absolute mass destruction would be in the hands of just ordinary people. Right. You, you know, like I mean, if, they have, if Ben Franklin was here, he'd be like, good Lord, man. <laughs> well, you think about, uh, weapons of mass destruction. Like that's why they invaded Iraq and they never found this any. True. Well, and their logic always falls apart too, because then they'll, they'll say, well, should people be allowed to have, like rocket launchers. Yeah. I'd be like, no, I mean, come on, you know, we can't be ridiculous. It's like, yeah, but you're allowing them to have, you know, weapons that fire, you know, was it 200 rounds a minute or maybe more? Yeah. You know, with a bump stock. So for that, you've got this, no, it's totally acceptable. You know, it's just completely an arbitrary line, right? Well, why not just let, let people buy hand grenades? I'm sure, like in Grand Theft Auto, you can buy hand grenades. Sure, if they were available for sale, a lot of people would buy hand grenades and flamethrowers, you know, rocket rocket launchers, uh, RPGs. But so the logic just doesn't make any sense, yeah, um, in a logical way, right? You are well, there. You go. So fun stuff. Fun so, stuff. So I um, mean, so this is this guy's life's mission, and um, he figures it's kind of like you don't you plant a tree so without the expectation that you're going to enjoy the shade. This is so he figures by 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 doing this and developing this over time that a future generation can potentially use this to try and justify something that deals with gun violence. Yeah. So anyway, so that's what one thing I learned. Well, the other thing I learned is them. about the age of retirement of 65. Ah. Where does this come from? Well, I'm I'm going to and okay. when? Well, when? I know you've got the answer. I would have guessed that it would have some relationship to life expectancy at the time. It does in a way, but not the way you think. Um, and it was probably an imposition because there would have been the baby boomers 
yeah. coming out of college and are like, can't I have all these old people keeping their jobs like today? No? Well, no. You better tell me. Okay. So this goes back to 1881. 1881? Yeah. And it happened in Germany. Okay. There was a German uh, can Chancellor Otto von Bismarck. Oh, yeah. Which is a... I've heard that name before. Yep. Was plagued by a rise in socialist ideology, and he proposed a national retirement benefit. Okay. To appease the leftist masses. Nice. And he set the retirement age at 70. Ah. But do you know what the average life expectancy was in 1881? 58? 40. 40. So there was wow. no expectation that people were actually going to take advantage of this. So he or, was, or a small percentage, because I mean, people have been living into their eighties. Well, I, yes, but but, but the it was average unusual. life expectancy yeah. was forty. Forty. So, Holy and man. in fact, he resigned shortly after the policy passed, but his legacy has remained. And Germany re, uh, changed the retirement benefit, which uh, in nineteen sixteen to sixty five. Right. And this has become the model for everybody. Right. Okay. And when they try to mess with it, so like France just did. Yeah. People riot in the streets. Well, France was was sixty two recently. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so President Roosevelt in the U.S. established the Social Security Act in nineteen thirty five. Okay. So before World War Two. Right. Uh, sixty five similarly chosen, uh, despite the fact that less than sixty percent of Americans adults lived that long. Mm -hmm. So, again, it was intended for people who really were at the edge. Sure. Right? Um, You've lived this long. So it's a bit of political smoke and mirrors. Right. Uh, it was a symbolic offering, accessible only to the lucky people who were able to live that long. Sure. Today, uh, most, many more people live long enough. The average life expectancy in the U.S., which is lower than Canada, is 76. Right. Um, the national retirement age, so you can get full social security benefits in the U S has crept up is 67 for anybody born after 1960, 65 in Canada. Yeah. So CPP and OAS, and you can claim it early or you can claim it late. <clears throat> OAS, you yeah. can't defer. Um, no. but, uh, CPP, you can. Well, we won't have to worry about that here in Alberta. <laughs> the CPP claims. The UCP. No, but the CPP, if they take it away and give it to Alberta and they invest it in the oil patch, we won't have to worry about that. We won't have anything. It'll be like Catch-22 where you get an IOU, but there's no money. <laughs> so, and in France, the retirement oh. age is currently 62. Okay. And life expectancy is 82. So wow, 20 years. 20 years. So this is a big well, issue about retirement. So this kind of changed, and from an economic perspective, perspective you think about it it went from being something that nobody was expected or very few people were expected to take advantage of that's right to now most people are taking some advantage of yeah but but the here's the thing i find interesting and this is the baby boomers i think we're big into this remember not that long ago <clears throat> like freedom 55 and i mean this was this was the whole thing right yeah all these investment companies all these wealth managers it was like ooh freedom of 55 like my dad retired at 58 mm -hmm. and is it 58 and in, how old in is his, he now 
He's 86. So almost 30 years yeah. ago. He's really done nothing, right? <laughs> and, and it has not been, I mean, when my mom was still alive, that kept him busy, obviously, you know, taking care of her. But 30 years of non-productive time is not really good for you. Well, right? so there's there's a, so, so that's uh, interesting. And, and I, I guess this is the topic of today. Yeah. Is, uh, I mean, if you can financial security by 55, huh. That would have been nice. Um, I can see making some sense. But this whole idea that they sold people, you're done. You know, let's say you start working at 20 in a, in a more of a, like a hands-on kind of thing. 35 years. Now, I admit that's a long time to be working, particularly mm-hmm. old school business way of, you know, start in the mailroom and move up. Um but what the hell are people going to do with themselves, right? Well, so to go back to what you were saying. If you're supposed to die at 40, yeah, okay, nobody retires. You're productive. Well, so, so, so uh, it was an interesting article. Uh, and a friend of mine, one of our list, occasional listeners, Richard, uh, forwarded it to me. And, and basically, um, so there's also this thing called working life expectancy. Okay. So just basically um, Americans who are healthy by age 40, 50 yeah. can expect to have roughly 23 more years free of disability. Nice. So they can okay. work till they're 73. Plus eight years of living with disability. Oh. Okay. So that's uh, 81. Yeah. So that would suggest that people's maximum working life. So you basically could work to, on average, about 73. But it's also fundamentally dependent upon the nature of the type of work that you do. Well, absolutely. If you're doing, uh, so in 2020, uh, roughly 45% of the American workforce, uh, all this is all American stuff, right? but uh, uh, worked in a knowledge-based field, such as management, business, finance, education, and healthcare. In 1935, when Social Security came in, these type of professions were in only 6% of sure. the workforce. Makes sense. So there's quite a difference. Yeah. Well, even today, like teaching at Nate, well, not so much the last couple of years, but when when I started teaching at Nate, even five or six years ago, there'd always be a handful of people in the school of business, the classes I were teaching, who were tradespeople. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fun because a lot of them had maybe done their trades at Nate you know, like 20 years ago. Right? Yeah. And now they were coming back because 20 years of working at a harder job, physical, so the, whether it be heavy duty mechanic or welder or working shift, shift, yeah, shift they're like, very I got to get into management. Like I got to come back and, and, um, cause it does, you, you know, it would be pretty hard to be able to maintain 40 years of working. It's true. Those physical jobs. But right? the flip side of that is these, uh, from a health standard, these knowledge-based ones, uh, 65 is kind of early. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and in fact, uh, so this is a great, this is a New York Times article and it's super great information in it. And basically, uh, so parts of your, so everybody thinks, oh, you know, your brains are going so parts of your brain, most, no, most notably your prefrontal cortex, which is critical critical to executive functioning, so that's right. making good decisions. Yep. Um, at attention and working memory, those are the three things. They do start to lose volume as soon as age forty five. I mean, we're in trouble, man. Um, <laughs> but apparently, other areas of your brain <laughs> that explain all these uh, middle midlife crisis guys that exactly. dump their wives, buy a Porsche, and get a young girlfriend. Bad like, decision. Your brain has gotten smaller. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, the car is not the size of yeah. your, Get a hair it's transplant. not compensating it's for the size of one thing. It's the size of your brain. Get the hair plugs. Uh, so, um, but, uh, so you do start to lose volume at 45, but areas, other areas are able to compensate. However, however, there are other Unless aspects. Unless you get long COVID, then you're fucked. Yeah. Well, there's other aspects of cognition, such as what they call crystallized intelligence, which is okay. accumulative knowledge accumulated knowledge that can be applied to new situations sure and social cognition which is behaving appropriately for with in, in interpersonal interactions right you probably they continue to improve emotional intelligence they continue to develop for decades right if you if you invest some time right so the, the some people decline mentally and physically when they stop working yeah so this is a big well, thing i'm not surprised so basically for some people delaying retirement can be associated with decreased risk of death sure um and experts speculate that the losses of job related physical activity and social interactions that come with leaving work are largely to blame for post-retirement declines yeah and i could totally see that for me when i was working i always had like continuous mental challenges now at sure. the same time i had continuous stress yes um so that that was not particularly healthy and i really noticed that gone yep but I also do miss some of the, the intellectual challenges, uh, although I, I've been pretty active doing other yeah. stuff that's not Well, I mean, I think there are people who are fortunate. Um, like I could see something like surgeons because, again, there's a, there's a visual and, and a physical acuity that, that would probably kind of start to be a problem. Mm -hmm. But it's not unusual for accountants and lawyers – uh, to be well into their 70s, especially lawyers. I remember, you know, when Paulette was uh, working for certain firms and the guys maybe even 80 still coming in, you know, reduced, right? And then you sort of become... Well, I knew a you guy. You sort of become this sort of senior counsel where well, it's this. more of a mentoring thing and because you've seen stuff. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, here's this, like, right to the heart of the thing. Like, I've seen this a hundred times, right? And then the junior person's like... I don't know what I'm doing here. And they're just like, they can hone in on that. Um, but you're not going to still be doing, you know, full workload or very rarely. Uh, same thing with sales guys. You know, I've met some older salespeople who are really effective. Again, at, at being the sort of more of the mentoring or. Well, that's all that interpersonal yeah. crystallized. They don't want to be on the road, you know, but it, but 40 it, weeks a year, but. But apparently there's other things too. Okay. So uh, there is, so if you get to age 50, yeah. there are some significant differences you between. you make it. Well, provided you make it. Woohoo. <laughs> well, there are people who pull those averages down. I know. Down, especially in the U.S. with all the gun violence. But, <laughs> the, uh, right. but so black men do not have the same life expectancy as white men. Yeah. And women do not have I'm the not same surprised. life expectancy as men. Yeah, I'm sure here in Canada, if you looked at the Aboriginal population, oh, I'm sure it's same terrible. Thing. Yeah. So uh, in the U.S., black men have a working life expectancy of only approximately 17 years. So uh, instead of to 73, it's to 67. Wow. So it's six years less. Yeah. Whereas with women, it's 74. So it's actually more than okay. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's black Americans particularly develop illness at earlier ages, mm -hmm. live with more disabilities and right. tend to 
to, to die younger. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, so the retirement age raising it, you got to think about the implication for some of the people that are adversely affected in the same circumstance. So <laughs> can you imagine if they came up with a policy and they were like, for African-Americans, retirement age, 68 for white people 74 people would lose their minds what's going on yeah your replacement theory even if even if you could justify it by poor health outcomes and and all that people would still lose their minds so the thing about it is that the initial intent for social security was basically to simply sustain people when they couldn't work physically work anymore yeah but now there is this presumption that basically um, it'll reward people mm. with a few years of leisure right. after their working life is done. And, you know, fundamentally, if you live, say, to 73 yeah. uh, and you retired at 65, that's eight years of, of leisure. Yes. And and the, the catch is now a lot of these retirements. Not your best years, usually. No. But they, I mean, we talked about this on a previous yeah. episode. We talked about the three phases, the go-go, right. the slow-go, and the no-go. Yeah. And those are supposed to roughly be like, you know, eight to ten years. So um, so that gets you to about 90. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> But uh, if if you're only living like yeah, so so that's thirty years of working life. So I worked, I retired or semi-retired at fifty-five. Yeah. But I would have started working at um, uh, like I graduated from engineering. How old was I? 24, 23, 24? Yeah, so a bit. So a it's bit only late. a little over thirty years. Yep. With uh, Lori's dad. So Lori's dad retired at 65. Mm-hmm. He um, he lived to 92. Yeah. So, um, and, and Lori's uncle was slightly earlier. It was interesting. The two of them retired the same day, but they didn't know the other was retiring. Isn't that even interesting? Though there was, a, I think, a three-year age difference. But anyway, the the thing about it was that, is that they almost were retired as long. Their retired life was almost as long as their working life. Their working life, life. yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, if I live to ninety, right? If um, that would be uh, forty-five years of retired of retirement, yeah. and I only worked for thirty. Thirty, yeah, yeah. There you go. go. <laughs> so it's interesting when you think about those terms because <laughs> nowadays everybody says, "Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to retirement." Blah 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 blah. blah. And what it's you, what are you nuts? Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the concept of uh, uh, working to live versus living white to work. White shoes, white belt, moving to Florida. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, we talked about Ricky Gervais's series, Afterlife, right? We have a little bit. Have yeah, I, I think I've watched the first episode. So the, <laughs> so the funniest parts of that show are... And you can see them aggregated on YouTube are when him and his cohort, you know, from the newspaper go and they do these uh, uh, interest stories, right? That's the his column for this like little small town newspaper is the personal interest stuff. It's just wild, right? But there's one where some woman who lives in, in the town <clears throat> has turned 100 
and she's at the at the home mm-hmm. and they're interviewing her and you know they're trying to make the best of it right like you must have been excited when you got the letter from the queen and she's like ah, some secretary wrote that the queen didn't write that bloody thing right and they're, they're trying you know and she's just going on about how what does he say uh so what would your advice be to people you know to make it to 100 she's like no <laughs> my favorite then she describes her physical situation right and again they're they're doing their best to like try to find like the silver lining you know and what does he say or it's the other guy says well shit but still you know 100 years you know you must have you must have seen a lot and what does she say she goes I was born in Tambry I'm going to die in Tambry I haven't seen fuck all (laughs) nice he's like Take the picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the thing is, I mean, we've talked. So quality of life. Well, I think quality, quality of life, of life are, are not necessarily the same. That's right? exactly correct. I mean, so we've talked about this in various shapes and forms over the last, you know, little while. Um, so has that changed your opinion, approach, or thoughts about retirement in terms of uh, what you expect to do, how, how would you expect to do it? I know that the financial security is kind of like the number one thing. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the, it's kind of the deal breaker, right? Retirement is based upon your ability to figure out some form of, um, financial security. Yeah. But once you've done that, the next question is like, what are you going to do? Like, and I, like most people have never planned it. I mean, this is the thing. Right? Yeah. Well, has it affected, yeah. has, has what we've discussed affected you in terms of thoughts about that? Or has it kind of changed your thought? I mean, you're in a total knowledge based. It uh, hasn't really changed my thoughts. This, this makes my wife a little crazy because she'll often be like, and this, this in fact, snowballed a whole existential crisis that lasted it's lasted about seven years sitting at our financial planner's office years ago and they're like what do you want to do when you retire and, you know my wife had this whole list of want to move here blah, 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 blah. and i was like i don't know she wants to move Tra- somewhere travel i was like oh my god you have no idea and uh and in some respects i still don't have a really clear idea um because when I'm pressed, I'll, I'll just be like, I don't think I'm ever going to retire, right? Um, now, we live a different world, right? Yeah. So I could see the person who's working, you know, again, going back to some of the stuff we were talking about. You work for Ford. You're in, you know, five days a week, you know, seven to five. You want to be done, right? Well, and you but get it. We, but I do, or even what you do. I mean, first of all, we live a pretty good life. I'm going to go do some... Christmas shopping after we do this, right? Right. Um, I don't have to ask anybody's permission. I don't have to put a slip of paper. You don't tell my boss that I'm going to duck out, right? So in some respects, I remember a, a, a professor when I did my MBA, him and his wife were consultants, and they were like, we're already kind of semi-retired in a way. Exactly. Right? If we can, when we're successful, we put away money, we want to take a month off. We do that. We just go and, you know, work, work, work for three, four months. And then we take three weeks where we do nothing. And that's a really advantageous position to be in. Absolutely. And as you pointed out, and what I'm doing now is, you know, it's, it's putting deals together. So 
I was blown away when I was in, in Ottawa for the, the conference of, of our uh, company um, and looked around the room and I'm like, holy man, other than some really young guys who mostly work as analysts, in terms of brokers, I was like clearly the youngest guy in the room, right? <laughs> like clearly the youngest guy in the room. Wait, and then really? I found out, yeah, the average age for someone getting into business brokerage is 56, which is exactly, I was like, woohoo, baby, right? Yeah. Because it's one of these things that, and this is kind of cool, unlike let's say the tech industry where you hear all these horror stories of people getting let go at 40 and they're like, oh, you're old, right? business brokerage and I bet you financial planning would be similar there's a certain legitimacy that comes with actually being older a little right? gravitas yeah where people are like I don't want some 30 year old dude telling me about you know how to plan my life especially yeah, yeah. older clients right they're like yeah gravitas I want to see you know some wrinkles some gray hair you know People who've seen some stuff. Well, it, like, yeah, no, I've seen some stuff. It's interesting. So, so, so I have a financial advisor through ATB. Uh, he kind of manages uh, so, some of our portfolios. He's kind of our main contact mm -hmm. and uh, has been for quite a number of years. So he was one of the guys who was kind of super relevant in terms of um, helping us decide that right. I, I, we were safe to be able to retire. Ah, right. And uh, so here's the interesting thing. Our guy just laughed. So <laughs> you're not ready to retire. But he's younger than me. Sure. And um, I think I have a meeting with him tomorrow. So he's okay. going to come to our studio and we're going to. But he's retiring at the end of this year. Is he? Yeah. And uh, he, so he's he's a little bit younger than me. But right. and he's retiring. And he says, yeah, he says, you convinced me that. Uh, we can be we can do this his wife is a little older she's already retired okay. so he's kind of like drag pulling up the rear uh and uh, you know so it's kind of interesting i mean i, I really noticed this a lot um but because, it's that magic question well once you what get, are you gonna do well what are you gonna do so it's really apparent that there are basically two kinds of people uh with respect to retirement those that have thought about it and those that haven't. Yeah, and there is exactly. a lot that have not. Well, you know, I'm going to golf. And you're like, oh, boy. Yeah, okay. So that's that's like a 90-day retirement plan. That's about it, right? That's it. And After especially where golfed, we live, it's only a few months of the exactly. year. It's not, it's not all year. After you've golfed 80 times in a summer for you're the going, first time, you're going to be like, I'm bored. Yeah, this is like five <laughs> hours of my life. Or I'm even travel. Here. I mean – depending on your health and, and, and what kind of traveler you are. I mean, if you're somebody who, let's say, went deep dives when they were younger, you could still do that. You know, we're going to go to Borneo. and Okay, but the average travel type, just go to a resort or go see the tourist stuff, even that, you're like, okay, so if you do 10 years of travel and you see all the places you ever wanted to see, yeah, then what, right? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of we're places go you can go another, travel, but we're gonna go on another cruise. Well, the thing, oh, the thing boy. with travel is that it's very expensive. And that's that's very part expensive. Too. So that's, especially if you're older and you want to travel in that style, style yeah. right? And so, you have no income, so you switch yeah. from being, you know, going traveling on these great vacations and stuff yeah. while you were earning income to now you are now it's all expense. There is no income. More yeah. no. at meet, senor. Yeah. Is it extra? <laughs> Do I have to leave a tip? See, 
no more red meat. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're right. People don't think about that. And uh, even the average person, it's even worse. I was just, I'm reading a, a, another book on, on it's called uh, Every Family's Business. So it's about family businesses. And so it's even worse for people who are self-employed oh, yeah. and, and who own businesses. Yeah. Like how, I do you, how do you extract being, your value? Well, that's number one. But on the psychological side, we'll joke about, you know, you've been the master whether it's a man or a woman, you've been the master of the universe for 25, 30 years, right? And when you're the big, the big cheese, right? Bring me a coat, bring me this, bring me that, right? Bring me a report. And it's like, <laughs> the day after you give that up, ain't nobody bringing you nothing. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're lucky if your dog brings you your slippers intact. There's a really funny uh, cartoon. I think it might be a far side and it's a woman, an older lady, and she's got a frying pan behind her back. And her husband, it's got like a like a clipboard, and he's like, "It's amazing. I've only been retired like for two weeks, and I've already optimized, you know, eighty percent of your home systems, dear." <laughs> She's got the crack in the head with this frying pan, right? Exactly. So yeah, so all of that stuff about I'm gonna spend a lot of time with my wife and kids. You're like, yeah. Have you like have you validated that assumption? Because reality is gonna be different, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you, what do you do? Wind up being down at the, at the McDonald's every morning, you know, with all the old guys who don't know what to do with themselves. Well, exactly. We're here from seven to eleven in the morning. Mm -hmm. Talking shit. Talking shit. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Oh yeah, you know, I've switched my medication from this to that, and well, like, oh, oh my god, that's the other thing, right? Yeah. I've. Well, I think even wasn't your father-in-law kind of like well he he was starting to have some mental decline but yeah. but I've known a lot of older folks who are like I don't want to move into a into a retirement home everybody's old there right so wow. it's, a, it's a mindset thing oh totally once you get immersed in that and everybody's just complaining about your bunions and this and that you're like pretty soon you're probably in that same mindset, right? Well, what's, what I find interesting is one of the things, so I, you know, I, I started, I retired, but I started my own photography yeah. studio, but I also volunteer for a whole bunch of things. Right. And I was doing that while I was still working. Right. And, um, and now it, it kind of is a major source of I've got deadlines. I got things I need to yeah. respond to and, and some responsibilities and it, it'll, it keeps me active and engaged with a lot of people. Sure. And, um, that's important because your yeah. world shrinks. Oh, that's it. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, like so much of it is cultural context. Like I've been involved, you know, in different projects and, and just tangentially through construction and hearing about certain families building these massive homes, immigrant families. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. And they're like, but they still maintain that multi-generational tradition where they're like, oh, yeah, we need three kitchens because, you know, grandma and grandpa are going to move into this level and then the family and then the young, you know, the oldest kids will be bringing their family. Our culture is so, it's like this Freedom 55 construct years of leisure but we don't want my you know we don't want the old people around right <laughs> we don't mind seeing them on sunday or come by or but we got our own lives to live so again you look at other cultures where the older people become 
they're still connected. They have a social connection. They live with the family and then they become, you know, how many times have even people in their forties and fifties, you're like, man, I've got a, I've got a problem. I've got a, an issue on my mind. Well, you know, if grandpa is still sharp you can go sit down and just get some wisdom, right. Or the connection to the grandchildren. Right. So in some of these cultures, they maintain that, that continuity. And a much and more, we're like, more active. Ooh, everybody has to have their own house, right. Yeah, and move right. away. And, that's right. and then where does grandma go when she's not well? Go into the home. Go to the home. And it's crazy because we went through this with my mom. Obviously, my parents were living together. And, and had she lived, likely she would have had to go just because her health was so bad. And you hear all these horror stories, right? It's like, well, there's only a spot like in, you know, an hour and a half away. Okay, well, put them in there. And it's just like, wow. Now, <laughs> I have to be honest. The thought came up, you know, well, should we offer to have her live with us? It's like, no. <laughs> I live in this culture <laughs> where I'm, I'm influenced by that. But if we could pull back and look at it, well, maybe there's something to that. Yeah. And it's not like you have them move in when they're on death's doorstep. Some of these families, you know, the grandparents are just in their 60s and they're still, they're already doing that take care of the kids and well i mean there's lots of families yeah. where where especially you know if you have kids younger the grandparents are still quite physically exactly. able and able to deal with the grandkids so it's great time for them if they retire and they have kids around because kids add a lot of life and they really rejuvenate they you keep people young yeah exactly uh hanging out with young people is really good for uh, for making you feel better in terms of uh, life and hopefulness and yeah. all that. Except kind of teenagers, stuff. man. Teenagers my, are my, surly. My kids' <laughs> friend cohort, my older son, they see the world with pretty, not rose colored glasses, but more like dark shades in a lot of ways, <laughs> right? And so we're actually doing a lot of work to try to look at the broader mm -hmm. perspective. You know, I, I was like, well, you know, the human the human history has been full of these ups and downs. And I came up with this idea just last week. We were talking about fusion. I said to him, I said, you got to keep in mind when you look at how history is, has developed one inflection point could be the difference, right? Maybe it's fusion en energy. Maybe it's the alien show, but there, there could be one historical event that happens in your lifetime that completely changes the trajectory of, of, our, our species. I think we may have seen one this in, year. In a more with, positive way than it's been, right? Well, I think we may have seen one with the AI. Yeah. I think the large language models, the explosion of different kinds of AI, um, I think that, that, I mean, it's like, it's like in the, in the uh, late 90s when the internet kind of changed from being this weird thing, like a bulletin board, they could, right. to actually being kind of, usable and yes. computers being usable and then yep. in the 2000s when the introduction of smartphones exactly right and then uh, well i guess you could argue well, that's a bit of a double-edged sword well yeah now you have a computer in your pocket yeah. that could have sent people to the moon in the right. 60s i remember and again i sound like an old guy when i tell my kids about this but do you remember the hopefulness of the late 90s when Clinton was still in, in the White House? So around about like 95, 96, 97. And it's just these little things like, like chapters. When chapters first 
came oh, on the scene. Amazing. You know, they were open till 10 o'clock every night. And, and it was like, you want to read the book here or take this magazine over to the Starbucks? Woohoo, it's the internet era. Like, there's just money flowing. We don't need business models anywhere. It's all good. Like, like you knew it couldn't last, but well, man, I, was it hopeful. I, rem- I remember. Just like, this I remember. Is great. I remember in the 80s. I mean, this is the thing they talk about the 80s, but there is one thing that I really recognized in the 80s that you rarely see when they have this nostalgia associated okay. with the oh, 80s. This I'm interested in. What is it? Well, it was the the threat of global nuclear war. Oh, yeah. Like this was kind of the thing hanging out in the back (laughs) of your heads for like there was always a feeling that that you were because there was the Cold War was really active. Oh, yeah. The Russians and the Americans like were actively doing stuff to screw the other one up all the time. All these proxy wars. And they had enough nuclear weapons to destroy and they still do but to destroy the world many times over and it was always fearful that this could happen and so there's like this this background stress that you kind of and it it colored a lot of that punk uh the punk aesthetic was kind of like this hopeful hopelessness in the uk in in the uk especially and um so then uh but but then you you know then all of a sudden under the the neoliberal model of thatcher and then reagan really started to dismantle all of that hopeful stuff right right and then and then in the and then um the berlin wall came down and uh and uh um Gorbachev came yeah, in and yeah. there was was it Glasnost yep. which was all of a sudden they were getting along with the Russians I mean the concept of having an international space station where Americans are on Russian rockets getting to to the international space station that was not that was not even a remote possibility no although they had, remember they had done the Soyuz hookup they, well, they they kind of in, in they, the late seventies, right? Yeah, but but they, that and was, then they shook hands and they shook like, hands and they basically didn't reach into the other one. I don't think they went. I don't think they exchanged other than no, no, no. Up. Yeah, they hooked up. We can we can make this connection. Yeah, but uh, so it's let's not blow the world up, okay, comrade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, and, as and soon as no war in space, yeah. As yes. soon as Glasnost happened, it was kind of like that. Sure, I really noticed that it was like for me. There was this hopefulness because all of a sudden we weren't going to extinguish ourselves as yep. now. Now we're in the process of doing it a totally different way. Well, we could have a whole topic on that sometime. How the Americans, I think, really screwed up the post-war. If you compare what they did with Japan and Germany. Yeah. Right. With the Marshall Plan and they're like. We've defeated Japan. We've defeated. <laughs> we defeated Japan like big time, right? We defeated Germany. Now we're going to go in and we're going to help rebuild. And what did we do with the Russians? We sent the corporations in, right? We didn't really support them to get their democracy really on going, right? Because you had what's his name, uh, Boris Yeltsin, mm-hmm. who unfortunately was a bit of a thief and a, a drunk thief and a drunk, right? And and but I mean all these American companies went in. Well, I mean the Americans have got a grifter. Naked capitalism. We've got a grifter for running for Whereas president. With, with the Japanese, that's not what they did. They went in, they helped them rehabilitate their economy, took time, right? And uh, that's a whole fascinating thing too, where the Americans rejected 
quality management. Like Alfred Deming had come up with all of this quality stuff and American corporations were like, what do we need that for? Get out of here, right? We're the, the hubris of, you know, like our automobile industry is the strongest in the world. And, you know, yeah, we make crappy cars, but who cares, right? Japanese were like, excuse me, you've got a better way of manufacturing because, you know, you may have looked around, but like our entire economy is destroyed, right? And they latched on all of that quality management. So that was all American, um, maybe not all, but predominantly American theoretical business thinking. And they just were like, this is awesome, right? Um, and and Japan, you know, nobody worries about Japan as a, as a military threat. Well, maybe China, but right whereas with the russians i mean yeah then putin comes in sort of bides his time organized crime goes wild and we kind of abandon them and now you know what a surprise that they've turned around and and they're like we have to reassert now that's not the first time that russia's had that experience you know they tend to be kicked around through history well, right well but we i totally missed the boat we could have totally supported that economy get them to do demo, you know democratic reform and 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 help them and i don't think we'd be in the situation we are now well i think right now in the us in particular they're they're kind of at a nexus point and then this year so i mean oh uh, yeah so this is kind of you know <laughs> way to, they're at a nexus point one of two things is going to happen so you've got basically trump who is clearly a grifter Right. And basically, I don't, I don't want to be dictator. I want to be dictator. To, to save his own insurrectionist. There's all these kinds of stuff. Yeah. So, when he was in office, oh, you can't you can't charge me or indict me because I'm in office. I'm president. I have immunity. And then, right. I mean, even what's his name, Mitch McConnell said, well, you know, we're not going to impeach him now if he's, you know. Let the courts deal with it when he's out of office. So they have. They have. And they are. They are in the process of doing that. There's 91 indictments. Uh, and he's trying to race to get in and delay all of these things so he can try to get back into the White House so right. he can dismiss everything. Yep. Um, they're at a nexus Except point. Except like last in Georgia. Night, that ain't happening. No, but and last over. night, and last night in Colorado... Yep. Um, the the Supreme Court of Colorado basically said he's ineligible to right. run because he's an insurrectionist. Yeah. Now, and that'll is probably it, be it, taken I up think by it's clause them. three of the Fourteenth Amendment, so, something and like when, that. And when you read it, it, it it's it, not it, too it, subtle. It, it's pretty clear. It checks off all the boxes related to him. But this is the madness, right? Because so there, there this is why a, it's in, a word. They took out the word president. And they found a draft of that amendment where the word president was literally in. Yeah. And what they did is they did several drafts and they were like, let's make it broader. I think they use officer of office, the United office, States. Office. Office. Office of the United States or any office. And they're like, well, that, that, that includes everything. But they're arguing, well, because they took it out. It doesn't include you know, president. They mean they meant to exclude. Well, that's Other what people were like. That's well, that what, doesn't make any that's sense. That's what the district judge said and then the state said opposite now apparently there there are there were several other similar challenges that kind of got dismissed for procedural issues but here's the catch so the supreme court that has been stacked by conservative Mm -hmm. judges is going to probably act and rule on this and it will it will have huge ramifications oh for sure so in i predict in this coming year that the U.S. is going to go one of two directions. Right. They'll go the direction of the rule of law. Yep. 
and you know fa evidence-based fact-based stuff or yep. they'll go like yeah those don't apply to me right and well, then uh, it'll become a dictatorship and it, it'll yeah it, it'll be an absolute mess right. uh, and it'll be like but see a, i i don't think trump survives long as a dictator i don't know <laughs> no i don't i really don't right yeah. I mean, the country is so cleaved in half. Yeah, and somebody true. was saying, uh, I we have a, one of the dads on our hockey team is an American. He's a prof here at the U of A. But, you know, and he's like, ah, the problem, of course, is he'd be hard to get to, right? Because the Secret Service are almost cult-like in their protection of... I'm like, yeah, he'd be hard to get to, but I don't know, man. It's like there's so much military power there. But see, I don't think the Supreme Court is going to rule in his favor. They'll either try to delay, although the pressure on them is pretty high. But like some people pointed out, Biden is still president. So if they come back and they're like, yep, presidents have full immunity against all criminal charges, Biden goes, all right, round up Trump, let's Oof. put a bullet in his head, and uh, we're done, baby. I don't think he would. But he could. But he could. And he's like, or he could just declare himself president for, for life. life. Yeah. Right? So the Supreme Court, they got double jeopardy. If we rule on that now, Biden's still president. That could be bad. And even if Trump gets in, what does he need a Supreme Court for? Yeah. So they're looking at their own. And I don't know if you saw this new scandal, a letter from 2003 between Clarence Thomas and some GOP, was he a senator from the state of Florida? where Clarence Thomas was threatening to quit if they didn't get more money because he's so bad with money. He owed all this. He borrowed $287,000. He basically was whining on an air flight to this congressman saying, if we don't start getting more money, at least two of us are going to quit. And they thought it would be Scalia and him. And then the Republicans freaked out because they're like, holy crap, we can't have, you know, we can't lose the, Conservative. conservative majority, right? And then apparently very shortly after that is when this billionaire starts come to my resort and we'll fly you here and all of these perks, perks, yes. right? And now they just found this letter. So more scandal at the Supreme Court. Oh, wow. So it's, it's a mess, boy. But I, I agree with you. I think what I hope is going to happen, and I think they, they are, the people who are, call them grown-ups, serious people are now looking at their laws and going, holy smokes, there are so many loopholes because nobody ever anticipated a, a guy like this. Mm -hmm. But now that we've had one, you know, we got to go back and, and take a look at fixing some of these crazy things that just don't make sense so that we never have this happen again. So I'm hoping it goes that way. Well, we should probably wrap up. We've kind of wandered away from We've the wandered away. But that's, right. that's okay. So it's Christmas, it's Christmas time. This will be dropping close, oh, yeah. to, Merry close to Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. And uh, or happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Festivus for the rest of us. That's right. Uh, dance around the Festivus don't pole. Don't forget Kwanzaa. I don't... I, I, what is Kwanzaa? Kwanzaa is... It's an African-American okay. holiday. I don't know the... I, I, I am ignorant I've heard of, it of its... Before, but origins i think it might either be creole or possibly even go back to africa okay right anyhow um so uh, saturnalia uh, cannot forget saturnalia <laughs> um, um what media kind, what kind of media i watched the first episode of reacher yeah season two season two it's really good awesome. uh now i don't know I where it's wait. going every thursday i'm like Ooh. i also rewatched 
the, the entire series of Sandman. I started watching oh, yeah. a little bit and I'm going like, this is really good. I really enjoy that. Yeah. So, um, I'm still making my way through uh, the haunting of uh, Bly Manor. Bly Manor. It's good. Okay. It's, I don't know if you ever watched, and then they had another one they'd done before, The Haunting of Hill House. Right. And in both cases, they seem to be able to capture, there was something about horror movies in the 70s that had this sort of gothic yeah, yeah. feel to them and where it's not all blood and guts and they have managed to recapture, well, first of all, it's set in the 80s, but they have this feel of those 70s horror movies like Burnt Offerings yeah. where nothing's really happening, but the whole time you're just like, ah, I'm so on edge. <laughs> so it's well done. What, what what else have you been watching or is that kind of it? Um, mishmash, it's, it's some busy, Star Trek busy, here. Busy time of year. It's a busy time of year, yeah. So. Anyhow, it's been fun. Yeah. Let's, so our next uh, episode will be recorded in 2024. Is that no, right? Uh, it we'll be, do one next week. We'll do one next week yeah. and it'll drop in 2024. That's a scary number. It is. Anyway, uh, so happy holidays, everybody. Uh, consider subscribing to we our say happy podcast. We include, I guess Hanukkah is over now. Hanukkah might be over. Uh, so consider subscribing to our podcast yeah. um, as a nice Christmas do gift. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it. Sounds that, good, Mark. Let's sign off for bye. today. Take care. Bye. <laughs>